Genesis chapter 44 and 45. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. And when they had gone a short distance from the city, now, sorry, when they gone a short, I'm sorry. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys and they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. When you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not this that my Lord, Lord drinks from? And by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servants speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When he went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. When our father said, Go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, one left me. And I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray, gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy my, to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him 
when Joseph made known to his brothers, made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land two years, of which there are yet five years, which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt. And all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with them. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your flocks and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them all he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. He sent his brothers away and they departed. He said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He's a ruler over all the land of Egypt. His heart became numb, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we approach this passage of Scripture, Lord, we see your gracious hand of providence Lord, using the wickedness of these men to save their lives, to save the lives of many. But Lord, even more than that, we see your sovereign work in hearts as you use circumstances, not just to to redeem lives, but to redeem souls for your glory. And Lord, as we Approach this passage. Help us, we, we pray, to see your hand of providence. Lord, to worship you for your sovereignty over all things, for the great love that you have shed upon us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Well, last week we focused on Genesis chapters 42 and 43. If you remember, chapter 42 began with Jacob and his family as a reminder that this, this Toledot, this story, is not just about Joseph, but about his family too. We began to see that God has a plan and a purpose through the key, the key figures in this account to achieve his great ends. Not only in Joseph's life, but also in the lives of his family members and far beyond. God was using these events to save people throughout the entire ancient Near East. So these events dramatically impacted the people who lived at that time and that place, but, but not only them. Even the people, even you who are sitting here in this room 4,000 years and 11,000 kilometers away, God has used and is using the events that we read about in this narrative to affect your life dramatically as well. Remember that Jacob and his brothers have been out of the picture since Genesis 37 when the brothers sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt because of their jealousy over Jacob's favoritism and Joseph's dreams in which they would bow to him. They lied to Jacob, telling him that an animal had killed him. If you remember, chapter 38 focused on Judah, but the, the thing that, that shone through loud and clear in chapter 38 was, was Judah's wickedness. Judah served, if you remember, as a, as a foil to Joseph's righteousness. Remember in that chapter, we saw his, his negligence towards Tamar, his failure to deal with his son's sin. And, and they, his immorality with Tamar. Judah had failed to give his youngest son to, to her after God had killed her prior two husbands, her first husband and then her second husband, Jacob's first two sons. God had struck them dead for their wickedness. And according to the, the custom of that time, he should have given the third son to her as a husband, but he refused. See, if you remember, Tamar duped Judah into thinking that she was a prostitute and, and Judah followed his lust and she conceived by him and, and two twins, two twin sons, Perez and Zerah, were born to her by her father-in-law, Judah. And then it was complete silence about this family while the narrative focused on Joseph. A slave in Potiphar's house, the attempted seduction by Potiphar's wife, his imprisonment stemming from her false charges of assault. But we saw that even in all of this, the Lord was with Joseph and was using these circumstances to bring about Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. And we saw that, that this, this rise to power wasn't, wasn't just, just for Joseph's sake. That God had a plan through this. And we have not yet seen. This morning we'll see the, the fruition of that plan. As this story continues to unfold. But if you remember, when Joseph was there in prison, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker had troubling dreams. And that the Lord had given Joseph the correct interpretation of those dreams. And then two years later... A full two years later, the, the cupbearer providentially remembered, remembered how Joseph had interpreted his dreams just at the right moment. When Pharaoh had his own troubling, dream, troubling dreams, his seven skinny cows devoured seven plump ones and seven blighted ears of grain devoured seven plump ones. And so Joseph was brought out of prison and asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph explained to Pharaoh that interpretation belongs to God. And, and again, God gave Joseph the ability to correctly interpret those dreams, which he said the, the seven years or the seven um, plump cows and the seven plump ears of grain represented seven years of plenty. And the, the seven skinny cows and the seven blighted ears of grain represented seven years of famine. And that the famine would be so severe that it would devour the plenty. Joseph suggested that they would gather one-fifth of the grain of Egypt during the years of plenty to store it up for the seven years of famine. 
And so Pharaoh recognized Joseph's wisdom and made him second in command, the prime minister of all of Egypt, and gave him the responsibility of, of collecting grain during the plenty and distributing it during the famine. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the Egyptian, the Egyptian name Zephanath Paniah. So at the beginning of chapter 42, we, we saw that Joseph's father and his brothers have also been impacted by the famine. They too were starving, and, and so Jacob found out that there was food in Egypt. But at the mention of that name, the brothers are struck and stand looking at each other. That name, Egypt, would have reminded them of what they had done to their brother. But Jacob sent them down to Egypt to buy grain. And there they encountered Joseph who pretended not to recognize them but dealt har harshly with them. And they didn't recognize him either. They, they only knew him as, as Zephanath Paniah. They bowed before him in partial fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. And he behaved with great wisdom and also with mercy rather than calling for their, their swift punishment, which he would, would have been well within his rights to do, he began to test them, seeking to determine whether they were actually repentant for what they had done to him all those years prior. He accused them of being spies and locked them up for three days. And when he confronted them to, again, they, they spoke to another, beginning to demonstrate remorse, saying, this is, this is because of what we did to our brother. They didn't realize that that Joseph was, was there before him and that he understood every word that they were saying. And he went out from them and wept. His plan appeared to be working. And so he adopted the next phase. He imprisoned their brother Simeon. He told them they would not see his face or allow Simeon to be released until they returned with Benjamin to prove that they were indeed brothers. Benjamin was their youngest brother and Jacob's new favorite. So Joseph sent them back with bags of grain, but put their money in the tops of their sacks. And when they realized that it was there, they were terrified. They, they thought that they would be accused of, of theft. And they asked if they could take Benjamin back with them, but Jacob was unwilling to let his favorite son go. And then finally, beginning of chapter 43, Judah convinced Jacob to let them take Benjamin down to Egypt. And Judah himself offered to take full responsibility. And Judah was beginning to be revealed as the leader of the brothers. And Jacob acquiesced to God and to whatever may befall him in his already grief-filled life, saying in verse 14, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And when they returned, to Egypt. They were met by Joseph's steward. They tried to return the money and, and to pay double, saying that there, there must have been some mistake. But the steward replied that the God of their fathers had put the treasure in their sacks. Nonetheless, they're frightened, even as Simeon was restored to them. And they're frightened too, as, as Joseph, Zephanath, Penny, in their minds, invited them all to a meal in which they were seated in chronological order from the oldest to the youngest causing them to, to look at one another with amazement. How could he have known their ages? Joseph, Joseph shows Benjamin, the, the, his full brother, the only other son of, his, of Rachel, his mother, is shown special honor, is given five portions of food. This is another part of the test. How will the brothers respond to favoritism from this Egyptian official upon the favored son of Jacob? The brothers eat and drink and are merry. They have no idea that the final test is coming. And that takes us to the beginning of chapter 44. Joseph commands his steward to fill the men's sacks with food and to put their money back in the tops of their sacks and to put Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. This is the final part of Joseph's test to reveal whether they would betray Benjamin as they had him. At first light, the men were sent on a journey home with their donkeys. And soon after they departed, Joseph sent his steward 
after them with instructions to charge them with theft, asking them why they have repaid good with evil. Later we'll see how God reversed the, the charges and used their actual evil for good. The charge was stealing the cup from which Zephanath Penea drinks and by which he practiced divination. Now, divination is the, the practice of, of mixing oil and water in a cup and then interpreting the pattern. God calls these and other occult practices abominable in Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. There is no sense that this had actually taken place in the Joseph narrative, that, that Joseph had actually practiced divination. This is part of the ruse. God has given Joseph wisdom to interpret dreams. He does not need to consort with demons. Again, this is part of his elaborate scheme to test his brothers. When the servants caught up, the steward caught up to them, he leveled charges against them. They replied, they, they were incredulous. Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. They explained how last time they'd found the money and they had returned it. Thieves don't generally make it a practice of returning what they'd stolen. But they add to their defense, saying that if, if one of them is found with a stolen cup, he shall die. And the rest will become slaves. They're obviously confident of their innocence, at least in this matter. 22 years prior, they had sold their brother as a slave and they deserved to be enslaved themselves. They deserved this. This, is, this would be very just. But the steward replied, Let it be as you say. He who is found with the cup shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. But it wasn't as they said. They said that the one with the cup would die, but the steward said, slave. And they said that the others would be, would be slaves, but the steward said, innocent. This appears to be mercy, but it's not mercy at this point. It's all part of the plan. It's part of the test. He's springing the trap. Each man quickly Lord his sack to the ground and opened it, and they're, they're, the brothers are searched. Now their father Jacob had experienced a similar search at the hands of Laban for his household idols, but that time it was the searcher himself who was deceived, and th there were actually stolen goods that were not discovered. The brothers are searched from the eldest to the youngest. Same order that had been seated at Joseph's table. Reuben's bag, not there. Simeon's bag, not there. Levi's bag, not there. Judah's bag, not there. On down the line, but you know what's coming next. Now the steward doesn't mention the money in their sacks. The, the money isn't what he's searching for. But finally they get to Benjamin's bag. Aha! There it is, the stolen cup. What would the brothers do? Would they, would they take this opportunity to get rid of Benjamin as they had Joseph? When, when Joseph had disappeared, only he had torn his garments. And now they all tear their garments. They're distraught. They, they tore their clothes. And they climbed back on their donkeys and they went back to the city. They who had enslaved Joseph now risk slavery to rescue Benjamin. Jacob's sons are finally starting to act like brothers. Do you act like a brother? Ladies, this application is, is just as valid for you. Do you act like a sister? And I don't just mean your biological family. Do you act like a brother or a sister to those in your spiritual family? Are you loyal to them even when it might cost you? It will cost you. Being a brother or a sister will cost you. It will cost you time. It will cost you money. And it will, in a sense, even cost your freedom. 
If the Apostle Paul, though free from all, made himself a slave of all for the sake of evangelism, 1 Corinthians 9.19, how much more should we sacrifice ourselves for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And a part of that sacrifice that you are called to make for brothers and sisters is, is not to getting your nose out of joint when your brothers and sisters don't act like a brother or sister to you. When they don't reciprocate. When they don't love you in the way that you love them. Now Joseph has been testing his brothers. But remember the redemptive purpose behind the test. Underneath it all, Joseph loves his brothers and is seeking their repentance and their reconciliation. Now don't conclude from this that you should test your brothers in this way. But you should conclude that if you are the one who is wronged, that you should be earnestly seeking repentance and reconciliation as well. Likewise, if you're the one who did the wrong, you should be seeking repentance and reconciliation. And the reality is, in, in, in our case, and really every human relationship, we are the one who did the wrong. All of us has done wrong to one another. We need to acknowledge that we were in the wrong and to focus primarily on our part. But now Judah begins to take center, story, center stage in the story. Notice how Moses states it in verse 14 of, of chapter 43, 44 rather. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. Judah is now the leader of the brothers. Even though he's the fourth born. Now the brothers fall to the ground before the man whom they believe to be Zephanath Paniah. Now they aren't bowing here to show honor. They're falling down for mercy. And again, he assumes the stern tone with them. Continue to play the part. What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can practice divination? For, for 22 years, the brothers have been estranged from Joseph, and it's all about to be undone. Or will it spiral into even worse hostility? Joseph speaks on behalf of the brothers. He says there's nothing that they can say, nothing that they can do to clear themselves. Hear this. <clears throat> God has found out the guilt of your servants, Judah says. He's admitting their guilt, but not guilt for the theft. God has exposed their guilt, he's saying, for their crime against their brother. As Victor Hamilton explains, this is God's way, says Judah, of visiting their past misdeeds upon them. They withheld mercy from Joseph, 42.21, and now God will withhold mercy from them, even if they are not guilty of this particular crime. Judah now offers all of them, speaking as their representative, he offers all of them as slaves. Not just Benjamin, but each brother will give himself into slavery. Joseph gives the brothers one last chance to abandon their brother to save their skins. He says in verse 17, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph is closing the net, creating almost the exact same scenario as that which had taken place in Dothan. Will they sacrifice another of Rachel's sons for their own selfish reasons? This is the, um, the moment of truth. Will they abandon Benjamin or will they save Benjamin? In verses 18 to 34, Judah again speaks on behalf of the brothers. This is the longest speech in the narrative. This is actually the longest speech in Genesis. And it's also one of the most touching he describes his earlier discussion with Joseph and, and those between Jacob and his brothers. This is the fourth time that that first visit is described. This is obviously extremely important to the narrative. And Judah focuses on Jacob's advanced years and on Benjamin's youth. He emphasizes Jacob's frailty. 
and, and Jacob's love for Benjamin. His favorite son of his favorite wife is dead. Benjamin is the only other child that she bore. And four times, Judah explains that the loss of Benjamin will kill Jacob. One of the worst fears that a parent can face is the death of a child. I read yesterday about two families in Petawawa, both of whom have missing teenage daughters. Last week, a girl's body was discovered, pulled out of the nearby Ottawa River. But the girl's identity can't be released until autopsy reports are completed. So this Mother's Day, two women are awaiting news of whether their daughter is dead. And of course, bad news for the one means hope for the other. One of the mothers said, we're sitting in an impossible spot. We're praying that it's not our daughter, but praying that means it's going to be someone else's daughter. Jacob has experienced, so he thinks, that the death of a son, and, and he's terrified of experiencing the death of, of another son, of, of his other favorite son. And in this Discussion in this, this speech, Judah's honesty and his personal empathy for Jacob were on full display. They tell the story of a changed heart. But what Judah does next will be even more telling. Just think for a moment before we go there about we've, what we've seen earlier from, from Judah deception, scheming, heartlessness, hypocrisy, immorality. Will Judah operate as he has earlier? Judah had gained financially from selling Joseph into slavery. He would gain far more. He would gain his freedom by throwing Benjamin under the bus. By accepting the judgment and sentence against him and, and just walking away. He could simply take off with the rest of his brothers and leave. They would be off scot-free. But Judah's been through a lot and he's learned something along the way. Not only do we have these experiences of Egypt, but, but he too has experienced heartache. He has lost his own sons. He has experienced deception. He was deceived himself by Tamar. Judah finishes his testimony and even more personal concern for his father. He, he rises to the occasion. He, he takes personal responsibility as he had promised his father that he would. This is a poignant example of, of self-sacrifice as Judah offers himself in the place of Benjamin in verses 33 and 34. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant for my Lord. Let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Friends, this is the, the moral climax of Judah's life. Judah, whose idea was to sell his brother into slavery for a prophet, now demonstrates concern for Benjamin. And especially for his father as he courageously offers himself as a slave in the place of Benjamin. Now this is not mere penance. You can never pay off your guilt. This is repentance. This is repentance. Repentance is not doing good deeds. Repentance is not walking an aisle or raising a hand or signing a card. Now, that can be evidence of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. Repentance is the fruit of regeneration. Judah is proving himself to be born again. This is one of the, the beauties uh, that we have of, of this extended narrative in Genesis. Remember, we saw a similar trajectory in the life of Jacob. As Jacob, the, the deceiver, scams his, his brother and lies to his father, and he believes it would be his father's deathbed. And we, as we travel with Jacob through the course of his life, we see God using the circumstances of Jacob's life and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring Jacob to repentance. And this is the same thing that we're seeing here in the life of Judah. 
Judah is the first one in Scripture to offer himself in the place of another. One will come later who will offer his life in the place of others, but this one was innocent. Well, now at the beginning of chapter 45, the focus shifts to Joseph. This is the climax of the, the whole Toledot of Jacob. Once a pillar of strength, Joseph is no longer able to control his emotions. Twice he had sought privacy to shed his tears. Now he sends the Egyptians out and announces to his brothers, I am Joseph. His first concern is for his father. He, he needed to hear again that his father's alive. Joseph weeps aloud, so loud in fact that the Egyptians who he sent out heard him. Pharaoh's household heard him. Twenty years of suppressed emotion pour out of him. Twenty-two years of schism are brought to a head. And all the brothers had seen before was Zephanath Paniah, the hostile ruler of Jacob. And now before their very eyes, he is transformed into Joseph, the brother that they had betrayed. They can't even answer. They're, they're dismayed in his presence. They're, they're horrified. They're terrified. But Joseph draws them close. He says again, I am your brother, Joseph. But he adds, whom you sold into slavery. Joseph doesn't pretend that it's not happened. He doesn't say, oh, just forget about it. He fully acknowledges their guilt, but he offers mercy and grace. Kenneth Matthews explains that, that what the dreams did not make known was that, that grace, love, and forgiveness, not submission enforced by power, achieved the benevolent outcome of the ruler over his subjects. The estranged men become Joseph's brothers again. Joseph comforts his brothers, telling them in verse 5, not to be distressed or angry with themselves because they had sold him into slavery. I want you just to stop and think about this for a second. I'm sure that at some point in your life, maybe recently, people have treated you badly. Maybe they've treated you very badly. Now imagine that person, probably the person you're thinking of right now, is standing right there before you. You have the upper hand. You can do anything you want to them. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, Joseph tells them not to be distressed or angry with themselves. How do you do that? How do you, you stand before someone who has treated you horribly and tell them not to be distressed or angry with themselves? Look at the rest of verse 5. God has sent me before you to preserve life. One of the ways to respond with grace and mercy to those who have wronged you is to remind yourself of God's sovereignty. God is using even their sin for his great and glorious purposes in your life and in the lives of others. Turn with me for a second, please, to Colossians, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24. On the face of it, this is a very challenging verse to understand where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Hear this. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Now we know, we understand that scriptures, Scripture teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We, we believe and we affirm that. Well, what is the Apostle Paul doing saying he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? It's his suffering. You see, the Colossians had never seen the suffering of Christ. 
But the Apostle Paul, as he suffered, and we know many of the things that the Apostle Paul suffered, suffered arguably more than any other human being, maybe with the exception of Job, possibly more than Job. But the Apostle Paul, as he suffered before the people in Colossae, he was living out the gospel in front of them. He, he was being a, a, a living testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, that, is, that ministry is not just for apostles. It's for all Christians. As we suffer before others, as we are mistreated before others, and, and as we respond, the way that we respond says something about the gospel. And so here, Joseph is saying something about the gospel. God is using his brother's sin for his great and glorious purposes, Joseph is saying. And this is true, as it was true of the brothers, this is true also of the sins that people commit against you, that God is using even their sin for his great and glorious purposes in your life, but also as you testify in your response by God's grace to that suffering, you are testifying to others of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three times in, in verses 5 and 7 and 8, Joseph says that it was not you who sent me here, but God. And this repetition, again, is meant to show you just how important this fact is. Genesis 50, 20 says it too. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. They had sinned, but God had a plan in their sin to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is a, a strong parallel in Luke chapter 22, verse 22. For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Judas betrayed Jesus, but God had a plan in it. Again from Kenneth Matthews, there's not much ground for recriminations when our offenses are placed in the rising tides of God's gracious purposes. When you meditate on God's good purposes, even through the sin of others against you. In that moment when, when somebody has sinned against you and is coming to mind again, or, or when they're sinning against you, in that moment, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself that God has a plan and a purpose here. Submit yourself intentionally to His providential rule. Seek His wisdom for the most Christ-reflecting response. Preach James 1, 2-4 to yourself. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's many passages of Scripture. James 1, 2-4, 1 Peter 1, 6-7, Romans 5, 1-5. These passages all present the same principle that God is at work even in the midst of your trials to sanctify you to make you more like his son the brother's guilt was real but Joseph looked to God's purpose in it if this had not had happened if this had not have happened many many lives would have been lost but not only that but of the patriarchs, 11 out of 12 of the tribes of Israel, the foundation of God's covenant people would have been wiped out. In fact, if you take a step right back from it, you can say 12 out of 12, even Joseph would have died if he was not sent in advance down to Egypt. But it's not just the 12 tribes, but the promised seed would have been wiped out as well. Judah, the one who was chosen as the forebear of the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15, who had crushed the serpent's head, would have died if not for these events. This has very real and personal implications for us here living as we do today. Now Joseph, in testing his brothers, was not seeking revenge. He was seeking repentance. He was seeking reconciliation. And he found it through the actions of Judah. 
The Judah who has now ascended as the leader of the brothers. He is the one who is the chosen seed. And he has unwittingly led Joseph. It is his love and compassion that prompted Joseph to reveal himself and to reconcile. And now Joseph instructs him to go quickly to get Jacob and to bring him down to Egypt. He promises Jacob the best of the land of Egypt for his children and his children's children, for their flocks and their herds. He promises to provide for him, revealing that there are still five more years of famine. And Joseph wept. And Benjamin wept. And they all wept. What, what a beautiful picture of repentance and reconciliation is, is these 12 brothers standing there, embracing each other, weeping together. The brothers are now brothers in a way that they have never been brothers before. When news of what's happened reaches Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house, he and his officials are pleased. And so he, he sends them back to Canaan to get Jacob and the rest of the family and to bring them to Egypt. He's, he's echoing Joseph's promise to give them the best of the land of Egypt. And Joseph provides wagons to carry everyone safely back. Joseph gives them all a, charge, a change of clothes. But it gives Benjamin 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes, but gone is any risk of jealousy. But there is a risk of conflict. So he also gives them this charge. Do not quarrel on the way. Well, think about what's just been revealed. That their past sin would now be exposed before their father. An accusation and counter-accusation could easily follow, and so he sends them away with that charge. But they arrive and tell Jacob, Joseph is alive. It's doubtful that he even heard what came next, that Joseph is ruler of all the land of Egypt. Jacob's in shock. He doesn't believe them until, until they tell him all that Joseph had said and until he sees the wagons that are sent to carry him down to Egypt. His, his spirit is revived. Chrysostom said that this old graybeard, all stooped and bent, suddenly takes on new vigor and heart. Joseph is alive. His precious son, thought dead for 22 years, is alive. And Jacob, the man who once refused to be comforted when he'd received news that Joseph was dead, now declares it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now next week we'll begin to see how, well, I guess in a few weeks, this will be, we'll begin to see how this is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 15 of, of God's prophecy to Abraham that, that his descendants would go down into Egypt. We'll continue with that when, in a few weeks' time. But just think for a moment, again, about the way that the Lord used the brother's wickedness to save many. And the way that the Lord used Judah's repentance to lead Joseph. Friends, the Lord uses the wickedness of others. The Lord uses your wickedness. Think of the passage that we talked about in Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and explained on Resurrection Sunday that that wasn't just about the the people that were standing there, that we are all guilty for the crucifixion of Jesus. You crucified. I crucified Jesus. We're all guilty. God uses the wickedness of men to achieve his great ends. Now, last week I began chapter 42 by quoting Proverbs 17, 17. A, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Well, Joseph was indeed a brother born for adversity for the Lord used him to save his brother's lives and to lead them to repentance. I, indeed, a brother is born for adversity. But friends, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Josh Gerrels just released a, a new song this past week. The gospel is gloriously declared in him. He says, O Lord, you're closer than a brother, a friend that I can fall on, and O God of my salvation, carried all my burdens on the cross. Greater love has no man than to die for his friend. 
when I was your enemy. Lord, you came and died for me. Oh Lord, you're closer than a brother, a friend that I can fall on. And oh God of my salvation, carried all my burdens. And oh, you're closer than my brother, a friend I can call on. Oh God of my salvation, carried all my burdens on the cross. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And anything that Joseph's brothers did to him pales in comparison to what you and I did to Christ. But through that wickedness, through your wickedness and my wickedness, God used this to bring redemption, to bring your redemption, to bring about my redemption. What a glorious gospel this is. What a, a gloriously omniscient and omnipotent and gracious and merciful and loving God this is. That he would use our wickedness to bring about our salvation. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you for this gospel that saves. Lord, only you could have ever come up with such a plan that would so gloriously declare all of your attributes. And Lord, only you could come up with a plan that would reveal your sovereignty and our responsibility as you used our sin to bring about our salvation. Almighty God, we praise you for Jesus Christ, our sinless Savior. Amen.